3: Stop, it's time live on a U.S. men's national team match day. <sighs> Deep breaths, everybody. Deep breaths. That game's going to kick off in about eight and a half hours from San Pedro Sula in Honduras. Two points for the U.S. through two games. There's a lot of angst. I'm sure we'll talk about that some this afternoon. We'll also talk about. Atlanta United getting back on the pitch. We've got to get back into Atlanta United mode because two days from now, they're back with Orlando city coming to town in a really big game in the Eastern conference. Man, it feels like we've been away from Atlanta action for like a month and it hasn't been that long.
4: I was literally just going to say that. That's funny. It really does feel like it's been this super long break. And in fact, it's only been as of today what, 11 days? Yeah, I know. So, yeah, <laughs> Friday against Orlando City. And uh, we heard from Gonzalo Pineda today. Got some, uh, you know, mostly positive injury mm-hmm. updates as far as Jake Mulraney, Mo Adams back at training. Santiago Sosa is training, although it sounds a little unclear if he's going to be able to play on Friday. But I mean, that's that's excellent news. Mo Adams is way ahead of schedule. Yep. So, instead of going into this match with only Sadich and um, Josetu as your midfielders now, You could potentially have Adams. You could potentially have Sosa. Doesn't sound like a bar is quite there yet. I guess, uh, according to Doug, uh, he was running off to the side today. Those are all really good signs, though, Um, because we know it's going to be tough on Friday. You know you're not going to have Joseph and Hernandez. You know that for sure. Uh, Seems very unlikely you would have Miles uh, just because of the amount of work that he's put in so far. Not to mention he might have to play again tonight. I think Bella would be the wild card. Uh, And I I don't know how logistically it works. I don't know if Turner Kirby's watching. Maybe he knows. He's our logistics guy. (laughs) I don't know logistically how this works as far as, like, do they have private jets that will take players back to their clubs? Do they have to fly commercial? Like, how quickly could a George Bellow get back to Atlanta? Could he take a red-eye tonight and get back in the morning? Do they charter to get back yeah. to Nashville, yeah. which was their home base. And then they take commercial flights from I mean, that. I, I just guess. don't know how that goes. So George would be one that I'm kind of holding out hope. Mm-hmm. Um, if they can put him in an acceptable travel situation where he might be able to play Friday, yeah, unless of course he plays a lot tonight and yes. that's not out of the question either. He has not played to this point in this, uh, this qualification window, but that does not mean that he will not play tonight.
3: Yeah, I think Bello. my understanding, cause they'll, they'll charter down, they chartered down, they, they'll probably charter back to Nashville. I would assume um, just for, you know, making things simple. They'll probably do that after the game. So it'll be very early tomorrow morning that they'll arrive back in Nashville. That's a quick trip back to Atlanta. For Bello, if he doesn't play, I think he would be available for selection. It would just be down to Pineda to, to make the decision on, you know, is he good to start after that kind of travel without playing, or is he available off the bench? Can he give me 45? Could he give me 30? I, I think Bello, if he doesn't play tonight, would be available for selection on Friday. I, Miles is is probably not going to be available because I think he starts tonight. I think he has to. Um, unless he's just exhausted. And he looked tired at the end of the game in Nashville on Sunday. It's Wednesday. I think he's needed. And and if there's a possibility of him playing, he needs to play for the men's national team because they need him in a big way tonight. Uh, Joseph and Ronald Hernandez, I just don't even think logistically they can get back in time to be part of it on Friday. Hernandez hasn't played much. I just don't see it. I mean, they're playing tomorrow night right. in Paraguay. And then you've got to get them to Atlanta.
4: See, and that's the frustrating thing because Joseph did not play on Sunday. Right. So if you're wondering about, like, fitness, he might be match fit for Friday if he doesn't play tomorrow night. If but he you got to get him back. Uh, And I just don't know how you could do that. I mean, a flight from Asuncion to, I don't know, Caracas, if they're going to charter back and then, you know, they get from Caracas to Atlanta just seems very, very unlikely that they would be able to do that and get Joseph back in time for Friday, unless they've worked something out with the Federation where, and I doubt this, but maybe they worked it out where Joseph is not going to play tomorrow and he's already on his way back. And, and the biggest secretive, Uh, airlift of Joseph Martinez that's ever possibly been executed is underway. I don't think Joseph's going to play. And I think Pineda even talked today about, well, we could play Cuba. We could play Jackson, play with a false nine. So now I don't know if that was in response to a question or not. I don't know how the question was phrased, but it seems very, very unlikely that Joseph is going to be available on Friday. Now, Orlando's going through this too, by the way. It's not just Atlanta United. Orlando's going through it too. Pedro Gillespie is with Peru. Can't imagine how he would be back uh, on Friday. And or- Orlando is on, like, their third different goalkeeper right now. Uh, Junior Urso picked up a yellow on uh, Saturday, so he'll be suspended. Uh, you know, that doesn't sound overly significant, but Junior Urso has played in 21 of their 22 matches this year, so that's it's not insignificant as far as I'm concerned. The frustrating thing now is we get this report today from Tom Bogert that um, I guess there was a thought that maybe Daryl DK could be brought in as an emergency call-up into the U.S. men's national team, but they didn't do that. Right. So, unfortunately for Atlanta United, DK, who's in better form, he scored on Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, he's going to be available. Mueller finally had a pretty good match on Saturday. He's going to be available. I mean, Orlando's going to have pretty much everyone, but they're going to have a couple guys mm-hmm. missing, too.
3: Yeah, where they stand right now, uh, and this is from their match report from the weekend match, uh, Galese and Sebastian Mendez away on national team duty. Mendez with Ecuador, Galese with Peru. Uh, the questionables for that day were Mauricio Pereira, Andres Perea, and Uri Rosell, and Pato was listed as out. Uh, Junior Urso out suspended now. We know that much. We can add him to the out category. Don't know about the questionables, and are they still questionable, or do Are there any other issues? I probably won't see those notes until tomorrow at some point. A couple of questions that are coming in. um, Uncle No Pockets asked about COVID procedures in place for players coming back from matches outside the country. There haven't been any in 2021, from my understanding, because we saw players go away on windows in March to Europe. Wasn't any issues. Um, There's no differentiation about where they're coming from. That hasn't been part of the MLS protocol as of this year at least. And I also think players who are vaccinated are in a different category to this. And now we don't know everybody 100%. We know Joseph had an infection and I believe it was confirmed that he was vaccinated in that situation. We know a lot of Atlanta United players are vaccinated. We don't know everybody's individual status. Um, there has not been any talk from anywhere in the 2021 season about players having to sit out games, quarantining, coming back from international duty. So I, I can't imagine that would be an issue.
4: I can shed maybe a little more light on this, uh, because unfortunately I've been through this, uh, (laughs) what, what I know is the, the league protocols this year, if you have a road match, you have to uh, clear a PCR test the day before you travel, mm-hmm. and then you have to clear another PCR test the day before you play. Mm-hmm. So the, the te- like in the case of Friday's game, uh, the test would be taken Thursday. They would get the result overnight Thursday because it's PCR, and then you're in or out on Friday.
3: That's on road so, games. Now, I'm assuming the yeah, home no, team home has to do too. that as well. That, okay. that, that's, that's to play yeah. in the game. That's what I okay. wanted to so, confirm, yes.
4: Yeah, right. So the, there, there's two different tests. There's a right. test to get you on the plane, yeah. and there, then there's a test to get you into the stadium. Yeah. Uh, Jason and I go through this, too, uh, when we travel. When with we travel, team. right. So, now, uh, unfortunately, I've learned many more specifics than I would care <laughs> to know about this, but that's another story for another day. Uh, so Joseph and Ronald Hernandez, because they would be traveling on Thursday— Let's say overnight Thursday, arriving on Friday. I don't know if they would be able to get a PCR test and be cleared. I, I guess they could get a rapid PCR test. Those do exist. Yeah, we're that as well. Christopher Abel, uh, real,
3: real fast PCR test for everybody. It's yeah, that has nothing to do with vaccinated every, or unvaccinated. Yes. Yeah, I'm vaccinated. Thing. I've taken tests.
4: Likewise. Yeah, uh, and, and and PCR. And this is another thing I learned because I've been through this. The league only accepts the PCR test. They don't accept the antigen test. Okay, a lot of the rapid tests that are conducted right now are antigen. In fact, most of them are antigen tests. That does not give you the green light. It's got to be a PCR test. Like I said, I've learned quite a bit about this due to a recent uh, event. But uh, people are asking. No, okay. I mean, I I, uh, I uh, got a false positive yeah. before a game and had to go through it and I was fine. It was, it was a false positive and I had to confirm that it was a false positive and it was quite a process to confirm that it was a false positive, but it was in fact a false positive. Um, so that's how I have learned about the types of tests that MLS require you to clear in order to be clear to go to the game. Yeah. Uh, so let's go back now to uncle no pockets question. Um, it would not necessarily be a like FIFA protocol or a CONCACAF protocol Mm -hmm. or a U.S. Men's National Team or whatever, a Venezuelan Federation protocol that would stop Joseph and Ronald Hernandez from being able to play on Friday. But what I'm wondering is, and this is an educated guess, I don't know this for sure, my educated guess is because they would not be back in the country until Friday morning, they would not be able to get a PCR test that would be able to clear them to play Friday night. That that's right. not a FIFA protocol. That's an MLS protocol.
3: Yeah. The only way around um, that I could see would be, and, and, and we don't know testing procedures in CONCACAF for games or in CONMA ball for games. And we don't know, for example, with that game being on Thursday in Paraguay, if they test on Thursday, and if they do, and it's a PCR test, that should be accepted by MLS for Friday. I would think it would be. Yeah, that's a Thursday-Friday situation where I don't even think the travels are going to logistically allow those guys to be part of it. For Bello and Robinson, if they were to possibly be part of the game on Friday – There's not a protocol about quarantining coming in from another country. The testing is all the time. That testing protocol is consistent. Now, we are starting to hear, and this has not changed in MLS yet, but this is something to keep an eye on worldwide and domestically, too, with, with sports. In UEFA... For Champions League, for Europa League, for Europa Conference League, for their UEFA competitions, starting next week with the group stages, players who are vaccinated and players who have recovered, and I don't know what kind of time frame you're talking about, from COVID do not have to test. That testing requirement's going away. That has not happened, to my knowledge, anywhere else in the world in terms of testing protocols right now. So that's what UEFA has done, which I think is a, a really big story that hasn't been talked about very much. And I don't know how that goes, but that's coming potentially right now. Everybody has to test all the time and you just have a certain time frame to get tested by and it has to be right. accepted.
4: Yeah, I think the bottom line um, and now. The chat's becoming about <laughs> PCR and all kinds of. That's and, what and happens. The it's all good. But, but I, I think the bottom line is this: I would not bet on Joseph Martinez no. or Ronald Hernandez no. playing in any circumstance on Friday. I think the only called-up player that would have a chance of playing Friday would be George Bellum. Uh, that would be my guess. What? Stranger things have happened. Yeah. I, I remember what was it? Two years ago, we got to the stadium and we heard a rumor that Joseph, who was in Venezuela the night before, had shown up and was trying to play. Uh, a rumor yeah. that, by the way, was debunked. But, I mean, Stranger Things have happened It's happened in the a lot years, of places.
3: But, um, yeah. I, I want to say it happened with Orlando and DK here recently, where they returned from national team duty, and he played very quickly. Um, it can happen. I think Miles, with 180 minutes already on his legs, travel, and probably 90 more tonight, Probably. We'll, we'll see when that lineup comes out, about 9.30-ish. Um, it's going to be almost impossible for him. You never know. Is he on the bench? Is he a, a late-game sub if needed? It, it, it could happen. Bello's the most likely, but I think that is going to be heavily dependent on does he play tonight and how much does he play. That's what it comes down to. The yeah. testing protocol with him, you can get that done. The the logistics work out for Bellow. That's That's fine, because he can test two or Thursday morning when he arrives back in Atlanta and he can, that can be exactly. worked out. That's easy. Yeah. And same for miles. Yeah. I just don't think miles was going to be fit to play. I think Bello could be. Yeah.
4: And, and I, I know Shiva and Amelia are talking about this again, the, you know, the PCR and the antigen are both nasal swabs. Yeah. Uh, there is a type of PCR test that's saliva based, yeah. but did that, uh, yeah we, yeah, we both did that in Columbus. <laughs> uh, I don't know which one I dislike more. Uh, but anyhow, um, it takes a lot of saliva to do the
3: yeah, saliva. It took a little while.
4: Uh, and you can't eat 30 minutes before, which, yeah. you know, if you know me, I'm eating and drinking constantly. So so anyhow, uh, the PCR is thought to be a little more accurate than the antigen. The antigen is, is believed to be accurate, but the PCR is... As I heard numerous times, the gold standard yeah. and uh, but even PCRs can turn out to uh, yeah. produce a false positive from time to time. And look, it does happen. But that is my understanding of, of getting these guys back. in. It's, it's not necessarily like a federal protocol. It's not necessarily a FIFA right. protocol. It's how MLS does the testing and the run up to a match.
3: It's a testing so, protocol, not a quarantine issue like that. I think that's right, maybe the right. biggest difference over the last year.
4: Okay, so let's let's end health time here, health down here, and let's <laughs> let's refocus on the match a little bit because if we're assuming that Joseph's not gonna play, I think this is the big question, the biggest question about um how is gonna set the team up on Friday. Mm-hmm. Let's go through the options here because Pineda talked today about how you could do Kubo or Jackson Conway, could be a like for like deal. Easy. He also talked about playing with a false nine. Interesting. What does that look like in the era of Luis Araujo? Because we have not seen Atlanta United play that way since Araujo got here.
3: Yeah, um, and and some of it depends on how you want to define false nine because Luis Araujo I think can play the nine as a nine. the The way false nine is, in in my opinion, I think most clearly defined it's not about playing a non-traditional nine as a nine. It's about how the role functions. If you play Luis Araujo in that role, for example, and he stays in the same channels, the same places that Joseph Martinez played it, he's just playing a forward role. He's not playing a false nine. A false nine is where you play somebody in that position and they don't really stay in that position. Think to, and this was the whole idea behind it. This is a, This is something we've seen teams do, I mean, going back to the 50s. It's not like some brand new thing, but where it became most common in modern times is Lionel Messi at Barcelona under Pep Guardiola. And there was a very specific mindset to it with Messi. It was drop into the midfield, make the center backs, and it was against Real Madrid the first time, make them have to decide, do I leave him? And then have matchup issues in the midfield. Or do I go out of position and go track him and, and deal with him, which opens up space? False nine. If it's in that way, I'm I'm fascinated to see how they could do it. Is it is it Barco in that role?s so The one that I could kind of see because of the way he he tries to manipulate space a lot, especially on the dribble, that would be really interesting to see. If it's just Barco or Moreno or Araujo, who I, I Kind of think could be the guy if it's them playing as a nine, they're just going to bring different characteristics to the role. So, I and, and we won't really know until the game starts, we won't really know until we see, like, okay, are they just is, is there are they not playing with a nine right now? Because false nine is saying there's not a nine, <laughs> like they're not there, they're in a different position. Does it look a lot like let's say they do that out of a four three three or four two three one or four one four one? That's all the same thing. If they do it out of that, then what you're creating, and what we've seen from Atlanta typically, if they do that, it'd be a, almost a four, one, five, zero is the way it would kind of appear when you're looking at it. There wouldn't be somebody up there. If they do it out of the three, four, two, one, it's honestly really simple because you play three center backs. You play your four as typical with two midfielders, centrally, two wing backs. And then instead of two and one, it's just three. And there's nobody up high. You get two players in those attacking positions with movement. If they can fix the movement issues, and this has been in, in all the formations this year, they fix the movement issues, you have the personnel to really make that difficult for an opponent to defend. If nobody occupies the center backs, they drop into the midfield, and Orlando center backs, and let's say it's Antonio Carlos and Robin Johnson who are not the most mobile, by the way, if they have to make decisions like, there's nothing for us to do. What do we do now? Do we just sit here and wait? Like That can really mess with an opponent. I think it would work best out of the, the second scenario, the 3 four, two, one, where a false nine is dropping in. Of course, it would create some overcrowding, Uncle No Pockets. That's the point. You, you're trying to create overloads. So if you have somebody drop into the midfield, you're trying to create a situation with those three central midfielders in the attack with one of them being a false nine dropping in against two. You're trying to create superiority. And then you're trying to create surprise with how you get into the, the attack. Any formation you pick You can nitpick it Anyone Any of those three You can say Well they've never played A false nine So that's not going to work You can say Well you're going to miss Miles Robinson So I don't like Franco and Walks Playing together That's not going to work Or you could say The three-four-two-one; it, it puts too much stress On the holding midfield That's not going to work We can play that game This would present A different challenge For Orlando And I'm intrigued By the idea I'm intrigued by who it would be, and I'm intrigued by how it would play out.
4: Well, there's another big concern that I have about how Pineda might have to set the team up. And it, this one hinges more on Bello and his mm-hmm. availability. Because one thing that we saw in Orlando on July, was it 30th or 31st, end of July, is that Orlando really exploited a matchup advantage with Juan coming down the right at Atlanta's left and Mikey Ambrose. If George Bello, who was not able to play in Orlando because he was on a Gold Cup call-up, uh, is out again on Friday, how best do you think Pineda could deal with that threat? Because who on speed is It's going to be a challenge for anyone on Atlanta United, anyone in MLS. Who wants one of the fastest players in the league. But I'm wondering what Atlanta United might be able to do to handle that difficulty. Because it was a major problem down in Orlando.
3: Yeah, and there's not really an easy answer to that. Um, if Bello's not available, we saw Mikey Ambrose struggle in that game, and we also saw Ambrose not really get any help from the winger tracking back, which is more of the issue, it was Eric Lopez in that case. And when it's the outside back attacking and there's a winger there, it's 2v1 if the winger doesn't come back to help defend. And... Most outside backs are going to struggle in that situation. There right. is a speed issue with Huon against most people. I, I, I don't know what the easy solution is to this. And if Bello's not available and Ronald Hernandez is not available, and you're looking at Brooks Lennon and Mikey Ambrose, I wonder if you do go into that three center back setup to give one more defender to help. And I think that's more comfortable... Because speed's a concern if it's Mikey at left back, at left wing back. At left back, he's more exposed. If you play Anton Walks as a left-sided center back, along with Franco and along with George Campbell as center backs, or Alex DeJohn or lots of different options, but I think it's Campbell right now, you've got more cover there to deal with that. I think you've got a little more protection. doesn't hurt you going forward. They've played out of that kind of shape most of the season, so... I think that works, and Walks has to maybe shade that way a little bit more to help with it. But whoever the winger is on that side, or if it's you know kind of the, the combination of things we talked about, you're going to need some help there from a Barco, from an Araujo, from a Moreno. You're going to need some help tracking back if Juan is playing and getting forward and causing those problems. But a five-man back line or three with four in front with midfielders and wing backs gives you a little more cover. I think it can work better.
2: Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.
4: Yeah, I'm trying to remember in Orlando. I think they played a 4231. I I'm almost yeah, positive of they that. Did. They um did. so switching to a 343 three might might be um one of the better, more I guess, safe options to to deal with that Wu-on threat. It's gonna be really interesting. It's a big match for Orlando, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Nashville now has really climbed into that that discussion for the number two spot in the East. It's very, very congested between two and five right now in the East. So Orlando needs points. Um, I don't think they played remarkably well against Columbus last Saturday. Um, There was an own goal in that match. I, I don't think they played great against Columbus at home. And, you know, another fact about Orlando is they just have not played a lot of road matches this year. Uh, it's been a very, very unusual scheduling formula employed by the league where Atlanta United is suddenly now playing all these home matches after being on the road forever. Orlando City has played a ton of home matches this year. So I'll, I'll be curious to see. Um, how they respond to this road challenge. It's going to be a big game. It's going to be Friday night, kickoff 725. Jason and I will be on at 630 on nine, The Game and um, Sirius XM Channel 157. A couple people have brought up the possibility of of maybe Eric Lopez coming in in a 4-2-3-2 as a striker. 4-2-3-1.
3: I think that, that was a, a misprint
4: yeah, 4-2-3-2 would be an illegal formation, <laughs> 4-2-3-1 uh, with Eric Lopez. Now, that's been talked about before, using Eric yeah. Lopez as the striker. We haven't really seen him in practice a whole lot.
3: Yeah, I, I, I my concern about Lopez in that spot is his movement, and I feel like that's been one of his big issues this season. It's an issue across the board, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm keeping up with the the chat as well, and movement off the ball no matter what formation they're in. And honestly, you know, no matter what player we're talking about for the most part, it's been inconsistent this season. And it's something that has to improve. And it's something that I would assume that Gonzalo Pineda has spotted watching video and is working to fix that. That's not an easy thing to fix saying run more off the ball, but it's needed because at times the attack has gotten too static. Now, Lopez is a different kind of player up top than Joseph would be, than Conway would be for sure, then Kubo would be, I think, because he's going to want to get in behind more, and that's something this team has lacked. Can he do that and make those runs and continue to make those runs? Um, you've had time to work on it. So it is possible, and I don't think he would really play a, as a false nine. Now, he wasn't mentioned by Gonzalo Pineda as one of the possibilities for that role. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen. If right. <laughs> if I'm not asked specifically about it, I might not be giving up that information <laughs> unless I have to. Um, he could be a, a very different kind of a look there, but typically we've seen him in a wide position. and. He's had moments. He hasn't really grown yet this season. I think he's still the same player that he was when he started the year. And I want to see more progress from him because I think he's got the skill set. But at times he gets lost in the play. And you need a little bit more from him. He's young and doesn't. This might not happen this year. It might take time for him. But you need a little bit more consistently, consistent impact from him is what I'm looking for. That game in Orlando was a problem where defensively, Ambrose got left out to dry and and Ambrose struggled in some situations, but Lopez didn't help him either playing on that side and who on running past him consistently. So it's tough. Yeah,
4: and Uncle No Pockets wants to know if you go with three center backs, would you be able to have any center backs yeah. on the bench? The, the answer is yes. You have Alex De John, yep. who I, I think for sure would be um in the match day 20. Yeah. You could potentially look at Josh Bauer. I know he's been training he with the first team. Yeah. um now it, it don't misinterpret that the first team and the second team train together for much of the week but yep. we have seen photos of Josh Bauer training with the first team so that could potentially be yeah, an option that's happened well. all so year. It,
3: no, that's that's not yeah. a new development
4: right right but uh, um to Uncle no pockets question no you you would still have yeah. uh plenty of options off the bench if you decide to say leave miles out and mm-hmm. play George Campbell one of the options could be miles Robinson I mean, that, that absolutely could be, if you could, let's say miles does not play a full 90 tonight, you can get him back and he passes your fitness test on Friday. Uh, You could have miles Robinson as a a break glass option off the bench. If you had to, if this were a playoff game, that probably would be a break glass option or a cup final or something like that. So don't worry about that. Atlanta United will be totally fine. If they go with three center backs, they'll have options off the bench uh christopher wants to know if the Chol could be an option up top
3: i don't think they see him as a as a forward and i'm trying to think and what i've seen him play over his career i haven't really seen him play up top centrally it's always been from a wide position either on the left or the right uh i mean is it possible sure anything's possible and and this just goes back to the the general idea that we have to stop being so rigid and thinking players play one position and that's it. It's not how managers see the game anymore. And managers, and I think Gonzalo Pineda is a manager like this, he's going to look at a couple of things, really from a very broad perspective of how he's preparing for this game. What can I highlight in my team and what... Actually, let me go three things. What can I highlight in my team what can I use to hurt the opposition and what do I need to protect in my team? What are my weaknesses that I gotta protect? What are my strengths I want to accentuate? And how can I hurt the opposition? I think those are the three things that come into it. It's not about this guy fits in this bucket and that's it, and that's all you can only play. Because as the the false nine conversation happened with Pep and Messi, that was an outside the box idea. That was a Messi as a number nine? Well, not really, because he's going to drop into these spots, but he's also going to try to arrive like a number nine. How does that work? Nobody sees that. That's not what we're used to. But it worked. And it worked to devastating effect in, in, in that game and many other games for Barcelona. And it's happened throughout Messi's career. Plenty of other players have done that sort of thing. You see it. Justin Merrim as a wing back. Nobody expected that. Didn't see that coming. It worked, it was effective. Sometimes, in these situations, you do have to think outside the box. Would that be Chole playing up top? I don't think to start. I think Pineda was very you know, upfront about, these are my options. He didn't say who the false nine options would be. But I think you can assume Araujo or Barco are the ones. And maybe it doesn't truly play like a false nine because they stay up higher. But anyway, I think those are the obvious ones. But once you get into the game and things are happening... Sometimes you have to go with your gut and say, well, Machop is typically a wide player, but he gives me height. He doesn't give me target forward ability because he's not strong to hold people off, but he gives me height. He gives me great 1v1 ability to run at players. Can he give me the other things I'm looking for? Can he run in behind? Can he, can he finish? Can he look for those things? You're looking at characteristics a lot more than just they only play this position, now you create a depth chart for a reason. You create op- options for a reason. But as we've went through, sometimes you're limited. Outside back is going to be a conversation this week. Do we see a surprise in that? Do we see a surprise wing back? You know, you want to go completely off the board with crazy ideas? We Jake Mulraney playing wing back's not a crazy idea. We've seen it. Jurgen Dom playing a wing back and Brooks Lennon playing on the left side to deal with who on speed solves problems. It could work. Is it Perfect? No, because it's not something that we've seen very much of. There's not a lot of experience there. But Dom has played some wing back in his career. He played some at Tigres. Yeah. So sometimes you have to think about this is the framework I want to accentuate what we do well. This is the framework that I want to protect what I'm afraid of about my team. And this is what I want to set up to hurt the opposition. Sometimes that involves moving the pieces around on the chessboard a little bit more and catching us by surprise.
4: It's going to be fascinating. Um we'll see well I you know the one thing about Machop and I know some of you are saying I'd like to give it a shot I want to see Machope be more decisive in game situations I think that's something he needs to work
3: on confidence
4: and and you don't get right and you don't get an opportunity to build confidence if you don't play so I know it's kind of a paradox mm-hmm. but I need to see a little bit more decisiveness for Machope, Joel, before I'd be willing to to take
3: that risk it's gotten uh, better for the twos in his recent appearances it's getting better but Not a young player because he went to college. He played at the college level. A young professional because he doesn't have a lot of experience at this level. And it shows at times. The confidence has been the number one thing that stood out to me. The ability is there. He's a wild card because of his combination of height, his 1v1 ability, his quickness, the length of his legs just to get really simple with it. He's a tough guy to defend. He's a tough guy to get off the ball. But he's got to make decisions quick. The mind has to go as quick as the body can and as the game is. And that takes some time for a young player. I don't think it was an accident that he's played a lot for Atlanta United 2 here lately to try to rebuild that confidence and get him going.
4: And to answer Luke's question, yes, Mulraney is fit, was training with yeah. the team today, so it sounds like he will be available for selection yeah. on Friday. So we've had a really positive, uh, I think very well-thought-out discussion here about Friday's match between Atlanta United and Orlando City. Now that we're all in such a good place, let's, uh, let's move on to what's going to happen tonight in San Pedro Sula, because <laughs> I'm, I'm not in a good place with the U.S. men's national team, and uh, it's just I'm so disappointed I'm so disappointed that you had a great summer. You won the mm-hmm. Nations League. You won Gold Cup. Felt like you had a lot of positive momentum going into the octagonal. Uh, and it's been disappointing. I'm not panicking. I think they're going to qualify. But they are, in fact, a little bit behind the eight ball right now because they dropped points at home to Canada. That That's a home match they should have won. They failed. Now they've got to find a way to get some points on the road. Uh to make sure that they're going to be in the top three when this is all said and done doesn't necessarily need to happen tonight, but you know, I came into the week feeling like they were going to need at least four points out of this week. Well, you're not going to get four points out of this week unless you win tonight. And I don't see them winning tonight. The, The way that they've been playing this week, considering the level of competition they're facing against Honduras, who is comparatively fresher than the U.S. men's national team. I just don't know how they can go down to San Pedro Sula and win tonight.
3: It's very tough. Um, It is winnable. It's winnable because the U.S. is a more talented team, in my opinion. I I don't think it's, again, an accident that you've got players in the U.S. lineup tonight that are playing in Champions League next week, and Honduras doesn't have that. There, There is a talent gap. But... There's also an experience gap, and that favors Honduras. And that's favored Canada in some ways, although not as much as should have resulted in the result we saw on Sunday. Um, It also favors El Salvador in some ways. This is a very young U.S. team. And and a very inexperienced U.S. team in World Cup qualifying and in CONCACAF games. It's a different beast. and, And I know it's easy to point to fifa ratings and and those champions league names next to to players names on the lineup sheet that's part of the conversation but just knowing how to handle going on the road and dealing with it and yeah i I don't know where this conversation has started to pop up that like it's the, the the savagery of going to central america it's hard to go on the road anywhere it's harder to go on the road in some places honduras is a tough place to go play it is. It's, it's a tough place to go play. That's why the last time they played there it was a draw. The time before that it was a loss. Go back to 2009. That was the last U.S. win in Honduras. Connor Casey was the hero in that one with two goals. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's winnable, and what I'm afraid of is a draw is not a bad result. But in the context of these three games, it will be taken as such. Because the expectations have changed based on really what happened Sunday in Nashville. I think a draw in El Salvador, there were people who thought that would be an easy win for the U.S. I disagreed with that because El Salvador has shown they're a tough out. And at home, they're especially a tough out. I think the U.S. will handle them here. But at home in San Salvador, that's difficult. Especially for a young team that hasn't played in those situations. This is not going to be easy. And what I hope is that Greg Berhalter, this technical staff, these players, and the leaders in the team are able to shut out the noise because the noise tells you panic, panic, panic. I don't think the results tell you panic, panic, panic. I don't think the table tells you panic, panic, panic. And I hope they don't play in a panicked way tonight because if they play their game, they should win tonight. And they have to block out all the noise. They have to get the job done tonight.
4: Well, I, I agree that it's not time to panic. You still have 12 matches to go, but I think the concern is justified, don't you? I mean, well. Yeah, but the team can't
3: I, be concerned internally.
4: Well, I, if the team's listening to any external noise, that's a huge problem. Uh, that would be a huge problem if they were. Sitting on six points right now. It
3: happens, um, happens, though. We know it, it does. It,
4: it it does, but it shouldn't.
3: But um, it does. I, Especially but when it's it does. bad noise.
4: Well, I agree. Um, now, some of the bad noise has, uh, or some of the cause of the bad noise has left for Italy. So maybe that helps. Uh, I, I don't mm. know. Um, <laughs> here's my take on Sunday. I, I thought the USA was the better side on Sunday. I thought yeah. they deserved to win. thought they played okay. Uh, yeah. I, I was very, very frustrated by the response to the Canada goal. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed to me after Canada scored that the USA was on fumes. The, the, the build up to the Canada goal was another thing. It was not a very well-defended goal by the USA either. And I, I was very, very underwhelmed by Josh Brooks or John Brooks, excuse yeah, me, John Brooks doing, on, uh... yeah, John Brooks on, on Sunday. Uh, very, very underwhelmed by him. But but here's the thing. I, I thought Burhalter froze after mm-hmm. Canada scored the goal. I don't feel like Burhalter really had a good feel for the energy level, of the players that were out there. He had four subs left and you did not execute subs until it was too late, in the 84th minute. It was essentially too late at that point. Um, you're playing your second of three matches in eight days. You're coming off a grinder down in El Salvador, which was played in conditions. Um, you know, it was not uncomfortable in Nashville, but I think you saw pretty early on in the match uh, on Sunday that it, it was warm. You know, the players were were feeling something in the condition. I just thought Berhalter completely blew it with the subs um, doesn't necessarily mean the result would have been different, but I think the USA would have had more chances going forward and getting a game winner against a Canadian side that looked pretty content to play for a draw. A draw is a great result for Canada on the road at the USA. Uh, so that I, I think was one thing that really stood out to me that really really upset me about Sundays I, I don't think burhalter had a really good feel for the situation uh you know we talked about this on soccer down here this morning I, I you know the Weston mcKinney thing uh appears to be at worst a grossly selfish immature move mm-hmm. by a young player uh and I support Greg burhalter in sending him home I, I know some people have have Expressed disagreement with that. I support him for yeah, sending him home. I um, but, I mean, there were other instances where I thought, and this goes back to the panic discussion a little bit, you know, Tyler Adams in frustration committing a silly, needless foul on Mark Anthony Kay to give him a receipt for something while the USA was in the midst of a very promising attack. Uh, sign of immaturity, sign of frustration when it was too early to be getting that frustrated and doing something silly like that. So I, I don't necessarily think that's a reflection of coaching. I think it's just a reflection of, unfortunately, I, I hope you don't have a couple guys on this team who aren't necessarily as concerned about the shirt as others. Now, Pulisic, out of fitness, giving you 90 minutes, yeah. worked as you know what off. Great sign. I, I don't Miles think Robinson that. has been working as yeah. you know what off. So I don't think it's a team-wide issue. No. But I I, no. I think you could point to a couple situations and, and wonder, like, eh. You know, I, I, I really, really hope that these these guys care as much as we do. Uh, and I'm sure they do, but
3: I'd like to see some proof. Two, of that. two separate situations to me entirely. McKinney was not thinking about the shirt at all with whatever he did to break COVID protocol. That's what he said. Uh, team protocol, whatever it was. He wasn't thinking about the shirt at all. He was selfish. That's a problem. Uh, what Adams did is not about not thinking about the shirt. It's about losing your head in a moment. And, and that happens to the best of players worldwide who, who give you everything for the shirt. It happens to younger players far more often than anybody else. I mean, I, I think about somebody who probably is the epitome of playing for the shirt and Diego Maradona, who in his first World Cup, late, frustrated, uh, kicked a Brazilian player in the nether regions and uh, got sent off. He actually kicked the wrong player, he said later. He was trying to kick somebody else who had been whacking him all day. Uh, but that happens. That's not, to me, not playing for the shirt. It's losing your head in a moment. Um, I think Adams was trying to get back at Mark Anthony Kay, who had been kicking him and quite a few other American players throughout the match. Just not the time to do it. You got to be a little more savvy with that. That's something that veterans will. Will learn. It, it can be a well placed elbow on a set piece. It, it can be, you know, leaving a, a boot in on a tackle at midfield where you're not going to get, you know, in big trouble for it. You don't do it in the way that Adams did. He lost his head. He saw the opportunity. He took it. He shouldn't have. You're right. You're dead on about Burhalter and subs. And that's my biggest concern. And he's got to make an impactful change in this match because this match will be crying out for it. It's the third match in a week. Never been in a situation before with three games in a window like this, and guys are tired. And what I worry about is I look back at the El Salvador game, and it was, I think it's a safe guess that these were subs that were roughly written on a note card before the game. Three subs at the same time with PFOC for Sargent, like for like, Acosta for De La Fuente, not quite like for like, but didn't really change anything too much. Anthony Robinson for Dest, like for like. 78th minute, 79th minute, same time. Roldan for Brendan Aronson. legit for Yedlin. Again, you just move the pieces around. Same things. Um, nothing changed. The The Canada game. To wait as long as he did after the Canadian goal and make sub at the 83rd minute and not really, again, change anything is a problem. He's got to be able to make an impactful change off the bench because tonight you're going to have guys who start the game. And Tyler Adams is one I'm looking at. Miles Robinson is another one I'm looking at. Brendan Aronson is another one I'm looking at who've played a lot of minutes. They might be able to start. They might be able to finish it. They might need to come off. You might give up a goal off a deflection. You might give up a a crazy situation. You might have a player like Tyler Adams who's running red hot and might get a red card, and you got to bring him off. You might see something, because this needs to happen too, and it hasn't. You might actually see something in the game that you say, well, I didn't think they'd do that. We can exploit that. Or, man, they're really killing us at this one thing. We need to change it and protect this. Not happening. That's what I'm afraid of, is this game will be crying out for really one of the the few times a national team manager can make an impact on a yeah. team with a change. You're not doing it in training sessions, really. It's, it's in-game. It's selection, and it's changes. Got to make one tonight because you're going to have to. Something's going to go wrong because it's the third game in a window and unexpected things happen. Got to be ready to deal with it. I don't know if Burr is ready to deal with that. And yeah. if it goes badly, we're in a position that we didn't want to be in where, yes, his job becomes a question. And that's not where you want to be right now. You don't want to have to be in the market with games looming a month later, three of them. And if it goes badly, that's where you are. Sadly. Well,
4: yes. Um, couple things let's go back to how Burhalter can affect this match tonight we we talked about this on sdh you believe that honduras is probably not going to open up tonight because they're at home
3: not too much i I think they'll be smart and i think they will go try to win the game but they're not going to risk too much in doing it they'll look to counter more than they look to dominate play
4: Okay, so if that's the case, I I, kind of feel like Berhalter has shown some tactical rigidity. Tell Mm. me if you agree or not. Yeah, Uh, He's obviously very committed committed to building out of the back. No problem with that. Okay, me too. But now you're playing a road match against a team that might not want to come out and open up. So how flexible should he be slash can he be tactically dealing with a team that might put
3: everyone behind the ball? You got two real options. And this was something that came up after the Canada game, because that's what they did. You can do what Berhalter has talked about and, and what players have talked about as well and move the ball faster, which needs to happen in those moments, especially because that's the easy one. You're, You're doing the same thing you're already doing. You're speeding up the tempo to try to take advantage of situations. More movement off the ball as well. Those are things that build upon what you're already doing. The other one is to play direct. And you're not really built to do that too much on the front end. Because it's, it's twofold. Josh Sargent, decent hold-up player. Jordan Peefock, decent hold-up player. Are you going to be able to bomb it forward to them, skip the lines all night, have those guys bring it down and bring others into the play? It's not their strength. Okay. Also, then you're attacking guys behind that. I think Brendan Aronson's shown some some fight in him, and, and he's mm-hmm. playing in a system at Red Bull Salzburg that kind of you know utilizes this, and I think he presses really well. So winning a second ball, I think Aronson can do that. I think Roldan can do that very well. It's not really Polisic's game. It doesn't mean you can't do it just because of one player, but. It's not as simple as just saying like, okay, well, they're going to sit back, so let's just play direct and bomb it forward and see what happens. You don't ever want to be in the let's see what happens idea. You want to have a strategy. So can you create a structure to do that really from video sessions because you're not going to have time to work on on the training ground from the Canada game to now? It's tough. I think you have to opt for plan A, which is to... Stick to your game plan, play faster, have somebody set the tempo. You're missing Gio Reyna badly tonight because he would be that guy. Plan B is then going to be, yeah, you're going to have to get direct late if that's what you got to do, if that's what the game calls for. Now, one other thing that I do think he will do tonight, because he has shown this, is with Honduras typically playing two up top, I think he will play three center backs, and I think that does change the positioning a little bit. And sometimes moving those chess pieces around can unlock some things. I think tonight you might be best suited to do that. It'll give you a little more protection out wide. It'll give you a little more security against those counters. And it doesn't mean you can't do what you're already doing. It puts Polisic and Aronson or Polisic and Lejet, or whatever those play- that lineup's going to look like. It puts them in some different spots on the field, maybe finding those pockets of space if Honduras sits back. So I think that's his move is he goes to a, a 3-4-2-1, a three-four-three 3 tonight because it suits him defensively, and it might unlock some openings with moving those players around a little bit on the field.
4: So who would the center backs be? Would it be Miles, Ream, and Brooks? Would Zimmerman get in there? I'd
3: go Miles, Brooks, and Zimmerman. I want Zimmerman on the field for set pieces in this game because that might be what, what gives you the breakthrough. Um, yeah. Walker's one of the best in the United States on that. So that that's where I'm at is play him, start him. I think he's, he's good enough to win the battles on the field. He's a very good center back. He's not as good at building up the play, but on the road, like you were mentioning, building up the play becomes less of an option. You still want to do it. And when you're able to do it, you will. But Zimmerman fits this game a little bit more than the game against like Canada, where you're going to have 78% of the ball, and you need good passes from those guys. That's not a strong suit. But winning battles, being dangerous on set pieces, Zimmerman gets the start for me.
4: Now, and these guys have looked good on set pieces, even in El Salvador, they look good mm-hmm. on set pieces. So it, it, I'm I'm with you on that. Now let's go back to the, the job security part of the conversation, which you brought up. I, for one, and, and you know, I've been very, very negative about Greg Berhalter. I, I, I'm very, very concerned about a lot of the things I've seen this week. I've been very concerned about some of the things I've seen over the last two or three years with Greg Berhalter. I don't necessarily know if it's fair to start having the fire him conversations based on one bad week. However, I also understand that if you're going to make a change, you probably have to do it sooner rather than later because you want to make a change that would give yourself enough time under a new manager. But I thought you and John made a great point on SDH today. Who are you going to get?
3: There's not a lot of obvious... You know, people waiting in the wings. And you're not going to have time to go through a protracted search. There, There's just no time. You have games in October. Um, it, it's it's a tough situation that they didn't expect to be in. And nobody could expect them to be in it. I, I think there are some people who have been Burhalter out probably since the day he was hired or before he was hired when it was clear he was going to get the job. And they're on that side. I, I get that. I understand that. That's not That's not who I'm talking about. I think the issue is it's not fair. It's not fair that they haven't lost their level on points with third place. We're not getting into like big table discussions right now two games through out of 14. They're level on points with third place. The table's broken just fine for them. If they draw again, even if they lose, it's nowhere near the end of the cycle. There's, that's that's absurd with 14 games to play or 11 games to play after this 14 games in total. But the reality is they didn't qualify last time, and that can't happen again. So there is a fear, and that fear will drive that decision. If they look like, and I have seen nothing to indicate this would happen, but if they look like the U.S. did when they lost to Costa Rica and Jurgen the last game, where it looked like they quit, you got to make the change. I don't think that's going to happen. If they draw, they shouldn't make the change, and I don't think they will. If they win, of course, they're not going to make the change. You've got momentum. If they lose and don't look good in doing so, that noise is going to get really loud, and the fear is going to pop up. And I would not want to be in the decision-making rooms at the U.S. Soccer Federation when that happens because you're in a very difficult spot and if you roll with burhalter at that point, you have to get it right or you're all gone. If you push the panic button too early and then move on, you better have somebody who can get the job done coming in. And that's not easy to find. You got, in, in my realistic view, I, you can pull out 20 names. I know there's, got, there's managers who are great who are not working right now. I know. In my realistic view, you have three managers with connections to this group of players. Dave Sarikin, who is managing Puerto Rico right now, who was the interim before burhalter took over, who knows this player pool inside and out. Steady hand. He's, he's been a manager for a long time. A veteran. You've got Tab Ramos at Houston, who hasn't done well at Houston. General manager just got fired. New owner. They might move on from Tab Ramos anyway. He was the U-20 manager, managed a lot of these guys on the way up. That's a tough spot for him, but he knows the player pool. Um, John Hackworth is another name that's come up. He is not working right now. He's part of St. Louis's build-out with their MLS team. Um, and he's managed a lot of these guys in youth national teams. He has been a senior manager. More experienced than Tab Ramos but not Sarakin and I don't – none of those are exciting, you know? Like, none of those excite oh. you about that move. That's what's tough.
4: There, there is another name. Someone who's been with the national team is fam- very familiar with this group of players. Mm-hmm. There is another name. Yeah. Could go with Jason Christ
3: <sighs> You Mike could. Chose, Mike chose you, violence today, you, I see. You could. You could. You could. He um, was
4: with the U23s for at least a year, right?
3: Yeah, well, most of that was during the pandemic where they didn't do anything. Right. But, you know.
4: But, uh, I think I think Jason and I are making the same point here. Um, Pickens are slim.
3: If uh... <laughs> if he had done well, he would be the obvious. If, no, if they had qualified not... for the Olympics, <laughs> that, that's exactly where you would go. No, but he did not. He no. did not.
4: And look, I and I know I've seen it on the Twitch pitch. A lot of you are throwing out uh, Rob Valentino's
3: name. No. And, people, and I, I love Rob that's, that's, and I respect stop. what
4: he's done, stop. but I, I don't know if Rob uh it, I I think he would do a good job, but I, I don't know if his resume would stack no. up favorably against um I think Dave Sarakin's a really good example. I mean, he's someone who's who's been with the national team, coached them into a cycle. Um, very, very familiar with this group. It has a lot of head coaching experience. Um, It's tough. I And we talked about this on SDH today. I don't think you're prying a Peter Vermes away from SKC right now. I know right, no. uh, you're certainly not prying Bruce arena from no. new England right now. I don't think you're prying Jim Curtin away from Philadelphia right now.
3: All right. I'll uh, give you the wild card. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll give you the wild card. And it's a very similar move to what they did last time. Last time, when they fired Klinsman, and they had to at that point. They should have done it sooner, in my opinion. But they turned to Bruce Arena. Now, it was later in the calendar year. It was They were able to do it after the Galaxy season was done or right as it was done. He was going to take over with a lead-out time coming in. So timing worked out. But they turned to Bruce Arena, who'd had success. Then he blew it in Trinidad. Who was the manager with the U.S. Men's National Team after Bruce Arena was there in his first run? Who took over for Bruce after the 2006 World Cup and led them to 2010? Yeah, it was Bob Bradley. Who's out of contract with LAFC at the end of the season? Bob Bradley.
4: And, and, and I would say 50-50 on whether he's back there next year. 50-50. If,
3: if they did it, and if they called Bob, I think he would take it. And yeah, I think I LAFC would let him go,
4: and I think you could do worse.
3: Oh, you I could absolutely you could do worse. I, I think Bob I think would be fine. Do a
4: lot worse than Bob Bradley. That's um, that's
3: the move. Like if that's what you get to, and and look, we know these things happen behind the scenes. Um, I'd be talking to people who know people because you might need that in your back pocket. I hope you don't. I don't think that's going to be easy for anybody involved, but I think in Your back pocket, you need to know that if I press the red button, Bob Bradley's walking in the door and everybody's going to make that work. I think LAFC would allow it. I think they would let him go early. I think Bob would take it because Bob would want to fix this.
4: Well, and let me take it a step further. Isn't Ante Razov kind of, I don't want to say head coach Uh, and waiting,
3: but. Don't know. I don't really know how, they're, how they've how they been lined up. They might move on completely. I mean, Rozov could go with him if that happened. That's true. We don't know. That's true. Um, no matter who we come up with, and, and we're going to stop here in just a second because we have to. Um, <laughs> no matter who we come up with, there's going to be five of you out there who say, I don't like that person. There's going to be five of you out there who say, yes, yes, yes. And there's going to be five of you out there who are indifferent. There's no slam dunk because you don't want to be in the situation. <laughs> There's no great setup. This is the these these are your options, and the Bob one is even a reach because you've got to get LASC to let him out of his contract early. Serrakin, I think you can make a deal with Puerto Rican Federation because he's not really working right now at the moment. He's doing a lot of big picture stuff. Um, this is your reality, and we're gonna know more about it by the end of this match tonight. I hope we're not having this conversation tomorrow. I, I hope it's a win tonight, which. They are favored to win, according to your favorite juice box purveyors, which eh, I, I think the draw is probably the most favorable result if I was doing that based on probability. Um, I hope we're not having this conversation tomorrow. There's a chance we are. There's also a chance we're not. And there's a chance yeah. that we're in between, which would be the worst situation because then we continue with this for another month.
4: Well, it'd be good for content, but uh, yeah. No, it, it, I'll just say this: this will be my parting shot. I don't expect they're going to win tonight. Uh, in oh. fact, I, I, my money would be on them losing. I'm I'm not not super optimistic coming into this match tonight. But the reality is, as Americans, for those of you who are watching who are Americans, um, and really for the good of soccer in this country, these guys have got to make the World Cup. It's it's vitally <laughs> no important for soccer in this country. So we're passionate. I'm disappointed. I'm passionate, but I'm very disappointed, frustrated with what I've seen. But um, at some point, I've got to stop talking and and start putting my red, white, <laughs> and blue on and supporting these guys. And, and they really do need our support. I hope, like I said earlier, that they are not paying attention to the external noise right now because I don't think that serves anyone any good. But you know, for better or for worse, there are guys we got to support them.
3: Let's see what happens tonight. Come on, Walker Zimmerman with a late stoppage time set piece winner. That's my pick.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I can't I yeah. <laughs> I, I I I just I, I think this could be a two nil loss. I'm just Oh my I, I am not optimistic. I think I think Honduras has been very wise in the way they've rotated in they their have. first two matches and they got results in both of them. They have now they're at home, hard place to play. Someone said on the Twitch pitch, um, humid, warm yeah. tonight at altitude. Yeah. Um, you know, I hope I brought, and and look, as Luke said, this will be the parting shot, you know, Ricardo Pepe. Why not start him? Nothing else has worked to this point. So why not? Start I've been him. very unimpressed with Josh Sargent. Yep. Um, you know, I thought PFOC, I didn't have a problem with PFOC on Sunday, but, um, you know, you brought Ricardo Pepe into the team for a reason. Let's not waste his time. Let's see what's going on there. Uh, I, in, in my opinion, Sunday was a must-win game. You failed. Tonight is a must-not-lose game, but I, I think you have the ability to maybe play a little more free tonight because you don't necessarily have to win this game. So if Ricardo Pepe fits into that, we'll see
3: going to be an adventure tonight i'm sure we'll be talking about it on stoppage time next week even with us being back in mls and with a game next wednesday as well yeah All th- we
4: might i'm glad you brought that up we oh. might be on tuesday okay uh, we'll talk about it on well, yeah. tuesday
3: yeah well uh because um
4: i think i have to be at the stadium at this time on wednesday so uh, let's tentatively plan for Tuesday at two o'clock. I'm glad you reminded me of that because go. Jason's right. Cincinnati will be here on Wednesday,
3: so we'll be talking about this next week. We'll be talking about Atlanta, Orlando. Uh, one more time with the broadcast plans for Friday.
4: Yes, yes. Six thirty on ninety two nine. The game for the pregame show kickoff seven twenty five. We're on ninety two nine. The game, Sirius XM channel one fifty seven, the Odyssey app, and the Atlanta United app.
3: Boom. We'll see you Friday night, hopefully after the U.S. picks up three points somehow tonight. And we'll hopefully be setting the prelude for Atlanta to pick up three points against Orlando. See y'all then.
2: How powerful is Cox Internet?